short one for you here today. I'm just going to respond to some responses from the last few podcasts, actually from the podcast last week about Before the Lost City, or that had Before the Lost City in it. And uh, I got calls from M.W. Lewis of Worlds of M.W. and calls from Jason Connerly from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And um, I didn't game that much this week. I was traveling last week, and I feel like the Wednesday it is, I'm still recovering. I did get some recording in with Jason for his um, October 31st contest. Uh, You can listen to that. Um, It was released earlier on Monday. And then I did, was able to do like my, uh, continue doing my mini review, which was a longer mini review because I had Jason on. And, um, yeah, it was fun. It was really fun. Like like I said, I didn't get a lot of gaming in. Though we did get um, our Temple of Elemental Evil game run by BJ Boyd up and running again. Not a lot of playing, mostly planning as we continue the next phase of the campaign. So I think this next week, however, at least Thursday, we'll be doing some Warhammer Fantasy and maybe this weekend, some more Temple of Elemental Evil. And, uh, and then next week will be the big game week. No travel there, really. We're going out of town this weekend for like a day and a half, but nothing major. And it's more of a fun thing, not a work thing. So anyway, um, yeah, on with the show. First, M.W. Lewis. Carl, it's M.W. Lewis here. First of all, thanks for calling in. Uh, to my show, I'll address your call in the uh, emergency podcasting system when I when I broadcast that. But uh, I was just listening to your really nice review of B4, the old BX module, the old TSR module for uh, basic edition, the Moldvay basic. And I think you mentioned it's written by Moldvay. I have it. I didn't pull it out from under the boat to reference it for this phone call because you did such a fabulous job. I just am calling to appreciate your review because I've said it on my podcast and call-ins to other shows. I love the old TSR modules, uh, the ones from the late 70s through to about 85, I would say. It's my time frame, my experience with them. And I just – we love them. We just couldn't wait to, to for someone to go out to the store. And it, for us, it was a treasure hunt because we didn't have the internet. These things really weren't advertised on television, and we weren't in the inn. We didn't have a good, we didn't have a gaming store, so we didn't know when new stuff was coming out. We just we'd find it. We were like adventurers, you know. We'd we'd enter the B Dalton bookstore. We'd try to get some rumors. We we'd hit the um, the caves, the caverns, which were like the bookshelves, and we'd loot. We'd well, we would. Uh, so we would check for traps, like I was saying. We would then fight off all the monsters, which, you know, were the old women working there and maybe our parents or siblings. Uh, then we would loot. We would get our loot and we'd leave. Uh, but unlike adventurers in a fake D&D game, we would actually pay for the loot and then we would go home and we'd play it. And uh, those basic 
So the basic, everyone thinks basic. Oh, I don't want to play basic. And then they're low level. The B, the B series is are they're all low level. I, 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 you know, I don't, you know, I could be misspeaking, but I'm, I know for a fact that at least through B seven, they're, they're for first through third levels. And, um, I honestly think some of these are some of the most compelling works put out by TSR. These low level modules are just fantastic. And I love all of them. And then the X, I like the X series that came out for the uh, expert edition. So th that's it. Just, uh, I have fond memories of playing B4, and you you motivated me me to uh, use it. I'm going to use it. I'm, I'm that's my resolution. I'm going to use it. And and why don't I know about these games, Carl? Let me you know send me a line. Uh, you know I'll, I'll play a character or two. I, I would love to play some old basic modules with a good DM. So just just let me know. Great great show, Carl. A N W. Thank you for that. Yeah, you know it's so funny you bring up. B Dalton, I figured that's where where there was modules to buy and AD&D books to get. Also, I don't remember if they had the basic box set. I don't remember how my folks got it. Maybe they did get it at B Dalton. Um, but that was because I got they got it for Christmas for me way back. So, yeah, I remember B Dalton and buying, buying the modules from there. I think I might still have like the barrier peaks module i bought from them and maybe like a beat up old copy of dwellers to the forbidden city um i'm very happy with b4 like i said i definitely want to play some of the old classics and do some ad and d um yeah hey you're welcome if the schedule fits you're welcome to join us for sure i love your trip down memory lane on where you bought and how you explored and how you got those old modules and i do enjoy the classics um because and they're they they still have playability. They're classic, you know. I do like what Goodman Games has done. I have like the whole series. I have um, the Border Peaks one. I have the Aladred, Castle Amber, a Temple of Elemental Evil. Though I haven't really opened it because B.J. Boyd is running it. I do have the Barrier Peaks one, and I'd love to run it. I don't know if I incorporate it into an overall campaign or what, or just have players make characters of that level and play it through. Or, I mean, the way that Goodman Games has done with the 5th edition, um, they've um, broadened it or embellished it, embellished like with the little notes that were in the margins or whatever in the adventures, they've expanded upon it. I really haven't looked through the Amber one yet, and I'm looking forward to looking through the Castle Amber one and see what that's all, how they've expanded that one or not. The Isle of Dread one is pretty much as as it is written, um, just in five, you know, translation almost directly of 5e, um, from what I remember. And I was going to run that, uh, but it took a side turn when the players really wanted to uh, break the iron. There's like a there's like a slave slaver organization in Karamikos. I think it's called the Iron Ring. The players ran afoul of them, and they wanted to break them, so we ended up running. Um, I think Night's Terror, Night's Dark Terrors, or something like that. I think it's B11, which talks about the Iron Ring and their influence in Karamikos, and and the players are like have really beat the beat the crap out of them, and we almost got to the end, but then of course things peter out, unfortunately, as players get you know well, life happens, players aren't available, and then you miss a few sessions, and then it dies, and I hope with all my travel that's not going to happen to my ongoing games. I really enjoy them. Um, it seems we've taken, we've missed a few abomination vaults, and now we're all excited about Kingmaker, and we've missed some 
um, T2K, but I think it's still going strong, um, mainly because my wife Amy plays, and that helps a lot to, for its sustainability, honestly. So, um, yeah, I think those are the two ones that have been going for some time. Oh, and Warhammer, the Warhammer Fantasy, that's not going away. Because it's the reg it's a regular group. Even when I'm not there, they'll meet and play board games, which I think is really helpful. But uh, again, thanks again, MW. And I look forward to hearing more of your world of MW. And when you do your emergency broadcast system stuff, it's really fun. And hey, uh, for you, go Phillies. Are you, I'm, I think you're a Phillies fan. But um, yeah, they're up 2-1 right now as we speak. So we'll see how they do. I, I really... Um, as much as I, I don't know if I'm an Astros fan, maybe just by default since I'm in Texas, but I do think the NLCS is going to win this one. The Phillies are really good. Um, so anyway, I will talk to you soon. Well, I'm on my way. I don't know where I'm going. I'm on my way. I'm taking my time, but I don't know where. Goodbye to Rosie, the Queen of Corona. See me and Julio down by the schoolyard. See me and Julio down by the schoolyard. Hey, Carl, Jason here. So you're in Miami. So that leaves three options, a work trip, a research trip for a future game of Millennium's End, or Dr. Rodriguez, have you switched employers to a pharmaceutical company based in Colombia? I wonder. Don't feel you have to play this message. I'm mainly messing with you. And um, if, if you don't want, you know, coming on the air, the idea that maybe you've switched employers to what I've implied there. If that's in bad taste, I appreciate that. So definitely I get it if you don't play this message. And and there's nothing um, stereotype or anything in there. I, I just, it, it's tickled me fancy, probably because think of Millennium's End and the, the idea of mercenaries tracking down drug dealers and stuff like that. Anyway, I am listening to your new show on the way to work. I will talk to you later. It's crazy you remind me about Miami. I've been there twice in the last several months and I'm going there again. I think it's in January, having a trip just to Miami, not the whole drive, I mean, not drive, fly to Tampa, drive to Miami, fly back from Miami. It's flying in and out of Miami. And I do enjoy Miami. It's got a neat, neat vibe, very similar to San Antonio. It's a diverse uh, city. I run into all sorts of people when I go there. And I do go there for work. Um, but, it, you know, when I drive around, when I'm renting a car and driving around and checking out the breweries and the local uh, scene there. It's a, it's a more industrial city than I thought. And there's a lot of waterways and canals and industrial areas that would make for some great scenes in a Merc-type um, game, like a Millennium's End Millennium's type game. I do want to get Millennium's End to the table. I just need to do some research, settle down. It's a very busy month coming up ahead and then with the holidays, so we'll see uh, how that goes. Anyway, um, yeah, thanks for that call, and you got another one. Hey, Carl, finish your episode on B4. Great episode. I agree, it's a great adventure. 
as far and I can't speak enough praise for the Goodman Games original adventures revisited or you know whatever the R is. We, we never know what the R is doing. Anyway, the I thank you for your elaboration on plot point campaigns versus adventure paths and that kind of thing. And and I definitely agree with you. It, it is nice to be able to give the players latitude and just run with it. Um, and it, and it's good that you're able to do that with the enemy within, even though, you, you know, they did have that quantum ship burning. But anyhow, great episode. Thank you so much. And I, you know, I will talk to you soon. And hopefully you will be at the next session of Reaver. One thing I didn't mention in the thing is what the sorcerer did. The evil sorcerer in Reaver cast casted heat metal on poor Laszlo and his armor got hot and he took damage from the armor being hot. And because Reaver has realistic rules for taking armor off or putting it on, the metal cooled down sooner than he would have had time to take it all off. So he had to just, so he just decided to leave it on and deal with it. Um, anyway, great episode, Carl. Talk to you later. Yeah, I love that quantum ship burning. And that does seem to be a, like a major plot point within the enemy within at the end of Death on the Right, classically. And I don't know, I mean, I mean, honestly, if someone had left a player character on the boat and said, I didn't want to go to the party, probably would have taken a different turn. And there are ways, like it gives ways, like in the sidebars, if the boat does not burn or if the players still have their boat, what do you do and what can you do? And I think the player, you know, I think the players still would have taken the adventure hook in a way because they do want to go up to Middenheim and they didn't have to lose a boat. I guess the boat gives them extra incentive. And maybe puts like some, gives them some pissed off reason to get back at the people who burned their boat because they all they figured it's a setup, but um, but yeah, you know maybe it gives extra motivation. I don't know, but you know it happened. Um, it happened because the players weren't there on the scene, and that was the plot. So yeah, I guess it is sort of a quantum ship burning unless the players some you know intervene, like that is not go to the party, um, see through the machinations before, beforehand, and there are opportunities for sure. But, um, you know, I guess the, the bad guys actually set it up well in that they, no one really knew about it except for one person they, they didn't really talk to but only met. They didn't talk to him at any length. Um, it's really interesting how it's set up. And uh, I think the, the authors attempt to do a good job to make it so that, sure, it's going to happen, but maybe the players aren't really onto it. And I did this to these players before, or at least I'm trying to think who was playing in that game. I think there were a couple players in my uh, Edge of the Empire game. There's a Star Wars game. There's an adventure that takes place on a mining, mining colony, not Bespin. And the players get there, and the only survivors are droids and... Um, the droids say, oh yeah, the pirates took the base and this is where they went and all this kind of stuff. It turns out that uh, this was one of the few times that I got the players because the droids were actually part of the the droid rebellion. And one of my players is still like, man, that's the only, I've, after all this time we played, that's the only time I feel you've gotten me. But I guess I got him again. So I don't know if that means I'm getting better or the players are just too trusting of the GM. Uh, maybe they shouldn't trust me. I don't know. 
I think they're enjoying the story. They were going to go to Middenheim anyway. I think the boat just uh, like gives them literally lights a fire under their tails um, to really make the enemy that devious and that much give them that much more of a desire for revenge. But, you know, I do like plot points and I do like hex crawls and sandboxy. And just today I was looking at um, Kingmaker and, and I think I mentioned in the past. So Kingmaker, like it was serialized. It was like uh, six adventure books. But now like you have the whole map. I was looking even at the Roll20 version that I purchased because it was on sale. And I have the whole map. So the, the players can go and wherever they want. There's definitely some places that they're directed to go initially. But after that, I mean, and I have, the, and instead of having like sections of the map, I have the full thing now and they can go wherever they want on the hex. And then there's like little, you know, each hex, you can either have a random encounter in a hex as you map the hex. And what I'll probably do is give XP for, you know, the hex is probably something like, I think I was giving, it might make him go up faster, but that's okay, honestly. I think it's something like, maybe I gave him like 100 XP per, it's a, they're 12, they're 12 mile hexes. So I might give him like 12 XP per hex explored. I think that'll work out because every thousand XP you get in Pathfinder 2 is a level up um, the way it works out. So that's probably pretty reasonable or maybe like a factor like, uh, no, because it doesn't change. So it's reasonable to keep doing 12 XP per hex. But anyway, it's a big map and they have the full run of it uh, this time around. So we'll see which way they go. And if they go into a hex where there's something kind of bad, hopefully they'll be smart enough to run. So, um, so yeah, you know, um, plot points, hex crawls, I prefer those to event crawls, I guess. Is that a term? Or point crawls? But um, yeah, there are a lot of terms that um, put you on the railroad of the game. And I guess the GM, it's, his, it's the GM's job to not make it seem like a, like a you know, give him a carrot as opposed to, you know, a, a crop, I guess. Give him a carrot as incentive to follow the story path not don't give them a crop to whack them towards the direction you want to go. I think that's a good way to think of it. Anyway, thank you for the call, Jason. Really a lot of food for thought um, here and thinking about, you know, running, running these uh, classic adventures, running published adventures in general. And even when you make your own adventure, you know, and you have like a story in mind, uh, where is it going to go? How is it going to go? I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, my Hyperborea game. I have like a, plot arc and a story in mind but the players have options and where are they going to go are they gonna, will they is it possible that they out level something if they never go or they might never go there i'm hoping they take the hook i have fun hyperborea stuff that i'd love to get to the table and maybe they'll take it maybe they won't right now it's in the phase of kind of making it up as dictated by the players and their desires i have like the quote-unquote adventure site but it's so open and big and it's kind of couched around a gladiatorial comp uh, competition um, set in a like a port city. So we'll see how, how they go and how they handle it. All right. Um, yeah, I got one more segment. Thank you so much, Jason. And um, we'll talk to you soon. So I dug out my copy of Menglana, the original Kingdom module 
Savinia Module 5102. The cover is by Eric Holtz. It shows a couple longships coming towards you with a, a Viking helmet, a Viking Scandinavian style helmet. I guess it would be Avinian style helmet, um, kind of shown above uh, above the, the two longships. And this was written or published actually in 1987 by N. Robin Crosby and Columbia Games, written by N. Robin Cos Crosby, Tom Dalglaish, and Mikhail Huber. So, um, and then the, the maps and plans are by Crosby and then Eric Holtz and Richard Porter. So um, pretty cool. The Manglana article, like I predicted, is shorter. The Manglana article itself, as opposed to being 48 pages, is only 12 pages in here. And then there is also an article on Pelin, which is five pages. So there's more pages a little bit in Pelin, but it's, uh, the plans are the same except they're in color. Oh, actually, they're black and white um, in, the in the body. And then there's like a fold-out series of fold-out pages. Um, no, they do not have the Pelin maps, like the, uh, the, the maps of the structures in color. But um, there is in the middle... There's like a centerfold of Manglana itself. It's a very similar map, but it's been touched up. And uh, I think the color scheme is a little easier now. And uh, so those two articles are in there, but there's more within this uh, book. So um, about the stuff, Hardest I haven't, has very similar information, though there is definitely more information on all the, all the different um, uh, throns uh, that, are, that exist. There's only like maybe a paragraph on each Thrawn in here. Um, it's very relatively sparse compared to what, what is there now. But there is like a short history. The history is actually, uh, maybe it's a, I don't know. Who knows? It's about the same. Um, interesting. Yeah, the, the, and then they're like all the law and government and current affairs are probably very similar. Nothing really has changed there, but uh, definitely an expansion and more hooks and more information on the on the Thrawns. So with Pelin, again, it's um, there's a short gazetteer of the structures um, of sorry the town itself, and then a map of the keep um, or the Great Hall actually it's not necessarily the keep. Um, but what else is in here in Manglana? So the book itself is a little it's big. I mean it's not as big. Well, I guess it's a total of. Uh, gosh, I'm going to have to figure that out. Huh. Um, yeah, it has multiple articles in it. So, so far, we have uh, six pages of Pelin, uh, 12 pages of Manglana, and then it has something on Freuheim, which is um, Freuheim, which is another um, throng of, the, of clan Storzar. And they give a tribute to Staller and Pelin, and I guess Storzar are, are the main... Um, the main, um, what is it called? Rivals of the ruling clan, the Storzars. Let me see if I get this correct. I don't want to steer you all wrong because I know you love. I'm going to play in Manglana one of these days, dear listeners. So, yeah, the Storzars are the rulers and the Stallars are their main rivals. And Freyaheim seems to be uh, their main Storzars main wait let me say that again the stallars are in control but the storzars are the main rivals and there was a plot um some 40 years ago where the 
Dorizar is trying to take over. And maybe there's still this inkling of rebellion. Anyway, Freyaheim is another article in here. It is their clan, the clan hold, the throne of clan Storizar. And um, it's it's cool. It's a, I like the, it's like one of these kind of double-walled um, Scandinavian Rus-type strongholds. Pretty interesting. And this article is, it has a really large map of the, uh, like a full two-page, double-page double map of the clan hold. And the Froyam article extends a lot of a lot of maps on the inside. Five. So, so like some six pages as well. And then there's also Vullenheim, which is the largest settlement in Menglana. So I wonder if, like, they're probably republish these, I'm pretty sure, and expand upon them. That's usually like the MO of Columbia Games. So I'm, I'm sure in the next um, Harn World or Harn, whatever their subscription service is, they'll have like Freyheim and Vullenheim or something. Um, or they'll have articles about these cities. So they, so they have Vullenheim, which is a large city. Um, like they have a market and all that kind of stuff. And then they have articles on other places that uh, are in the in the sort of Menglana sphere of influence. They have Locus, and Locus is a very interesting... They have their own... They have a separate article now in the New Columbia Games offerings that expands upon Locus. And Locus, with it, is a small independent kingdom off the west coast of Menglana. And there's three islands, and it's like a holy site. Um, there's an oracle there on Locus. So um, it's very interesting. Um, I don't know if it's, or, it's called an oracle, but there is some, I believe that's what that is. Yeah. Yep. Oh, it's a sacred site. There's a sacred site on Locus, in the kingdom of Locus, that is called Kirinheim, and that is an oracle. And it's a cult of the Ilkiri, which are like Valkyrie, right? So, so Kirinheim, there's an article. So Locus is only like a two-page article. And it, it doesn't really, it just gives a, a poetic map and an overview of Locus. Kirinheim is like the town, and that is a three, four-page or, article. And it talks about the chamber, a map of the chamber of the oracle and a map of Kirinheim. Then there's a two-page article on Rugna, and that has definitely been expanded upon by Columbia Games. There's like Rugna, and then there's like uh, a separate article on Kosselin, Ilbi, and Helling. So this is like, that's brand new stuff. In, in here, in Menglana, there's only like like a paragraph each about those three, those three thrones, so um, in Rugna. And Rugna is like a breakaway state of Menglana. Um, there's still families that have crossover between them, um, which is kind of interesting. A Geldamar, uh, the Gelamar clans, and also I think probably Storizars and Stallers as well. Um, interestingly, there is an Agrican church in Rugna, as opposed to the Sarajan church that exists in Menglana and in Adinia as a whole. Then there's an article on something called Injarheim, which is an independent lodge out in the middle that where a, um, like a, like a, the equivalent of a Maya is supposed to be living, the Harn equivalent of a Maya, like a demigod named Ijar one eye that's his household and they have like a whole i guess these are the sons of sarajan the god um and uh yeah there's like a four page article five page article on that 
It shows a map of the layout of the lodge and the area. Six page article, sorry. And then if you remember, I mentioned the Yareli, uh, those are the uh, human inhabitants, first human inhabitants of Ivinia, and there is a two page article on them. So there's more stuff in here um, in Menglana, the kingdom article, Vollenheim, Pellin, Freyheim, Locus, Kirenheim, Rugna, and Yureli. Um, more more kind of an old school feel, really, right? Because it's doesn't give great big descriptions. It's just a few blurbs here and there, and then to let you run with it. So that was kind of the intent, right? Is like a gazetteer format. We'll throw us a little some little tidbits in here. We'll tell you the politics, and then you run with it, right? So uh, that was the idea. But there, that's Menglana in the past from '87 compared to the Menglana that I uh, overviewed in uh, earlier this week. Sorry, all I got a little distracted because I was wondering to you know where the hell Ijarheim was located. And it's out in the middle of nowhere, northeast of Menglana in the wilderness. So, hey, if a the lodge of a demigod is not quirky enough for you, um, well, I guess Harn is too serious. But uh, anyway, thank you all for listening. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed the call-ins and my responses and a little bit of history or comparison of the old Menglana module to the new one, which I touched on earlier this week in the mini-review. So thanks for listening. The intro and outro music is by TJ Drennan. The cover clip art usually is by my wife Amy, but today it's going to be the Eric Holtz cover from Menglana. So if you want to send me a response to this podcast, you can hit me up at, send me a message, either text or voice at geomologist at gmail.com. I have a SpeakPipe account that is, will be linked in the show notes and is linked in the intro and header. Um, you can hit me on the Discord and leave me a message there, an audio file, or uh, you can leave me a message on the Anchor website you can no longer do it on the app, unfortunately. Anyway, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you all soon.